Hey, and welcome back to Prognosis Ohio. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. On today's episode, I'm talking with Andrea Hoffman, who's a college sophomore and advocate for better health and public health awareness. Andrea wrote an op-ed for CNN.com that caught my eye a few months back about her experience with cystic fibrosis and how it's affected her thinking during the pandemic. Andrea reminds readers that much of what people have been adapting to over the last year has been basic to her life even before the pandemic. As she puts it in the piece, she was a hand washer before it was cool. Andrea connects the dots for us and tells us a bit about life with CF in college, her reflections on public health generally as well as during the pandemic, and much more. It was a real pleasure getting to know Andrea. I hope you enjoy the conversation and share it with others. As always, before turning to Andrea, I'd like to ask you, if you'd like this episode of Prognosis Ohio, please help us to make more by becoming a Patreon for just $3 a month. This is a shoestring operation, a project we pull together late at night and on weekends, but podcasting costs actually add up to some serious money. We use whatever support we receive to pay for technical platforms, for recording and hosting, things like that, so we can keep spotlighting community voices and important issues here in Ohio. To do that, please go to patreon.com slash prognosisohio. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio. And thanks. Okay, now to my conversation with Andrea Hoffman. Hey, Andrea, thanks so much for taking some time to be on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So I'd like to start at the beginning. You know, listeners may not know, and I'll just admit, I didn't know very much about cystic fibrosis before I knew I was going to be talking to you. So I did my crash coursing and, and as much reading as I could. But I wonder if you could just start by talking a little bit about the basics of the disease. What is it? And, and I'd like to know also, what kind of misunderstandings do you find you encounter uh, when people learn that you do have CF? Yeah. Um, so cystic fibrosis is a genetic disease that primarily affects the lungs and digestive system. Um, there's also other parts of the body it can affect too. Um, there are about 30,000 people living with CF in the United States and um, roughly more than 70,000 worldwide. Um, currently, the life expectancy is 44 um, and about more than half the population, CF population is 18 years or older. Um, and I would probably say a misconception is um, looking at me, I look like a regular normal 20 year year old college student. Um, and so from the outside, I look um, regular, but um, on every single day, there's a battle being waged behind the scenes um, to ensure that I'm healthy, um, especially living with cystic fibrosis. My understanding is that, I mean, 44 and, you know, I'll say I'm 44. So like, it's a meaningful number you know, to me. And, um, yeah. you know, but, but it's also, it's progressed a lot over recent years. My understanding is that, you know, it used yes. to be in the twenties and thirties. So there's, there's progress as well, is there not? Yeah, and that's something, especially in my lifetime, um, that my parents, but also other CF patients have seen, um, is the increase in science um, and medications that are able to help CF patients live longer. Um, and 44 also isn't a hard number. Um, there are many people that live beyond 44. Some sadly don't sure. make it to 44. Um, but that's ultimately an average number um, that is used. So thankfully, um, some people live past that, um, which is definitely hopeful, especially how science is the direction it's heading for sure. Yeah. And hopefully that'll be a number that, you know, like like every disease, rare diseases, more common diseases, we hope that that just continues. Um, you know, if, if you don't mind answering, I mean, so what is it like having cystic fibrosis? Like what, what is the day-to-day -day 
yeah. kind of experience. And you're you're a college student, so I wonder if you know, what's it like being in college with cystic fibrosis? Yeah. Um. So every morning I wake up earlier than most college students. That way I can get my treatments in before I go to class. Um. I do um pills that I have to take with um supplements um in the morning as well as a vest treatment that shakes my lungs and helps to break up the mucus in my lungs so I can cough that up. Um. And then I go to class. Um. And I take pills every time I eat for um digestion purposes. Um, and then every night I come back, um, do more treatments as well as more pills, um, with my dinner, um, and then go to bed. Um, and I normally try not to stay up too late, um, cause with CF, it's always good. Anyone, but especially CF, it's always good to make sure that I get the right amount of sleep. So that way um, my body can truly rest, but also, um, work harder the next day too, to keep me healthy for sure. So I first learned about you when you know I, I read this commentary that you wrote on CNN.com, and um, it was just masterfully done and, and and a really important kind of piece because you were sharing with folks during a time where we were trying to get people to take this disease, this this pandemic seriously, and people like you have this perspective, right, to be mm-hmm. able to share to, because you've experienced a, a life in vulnerability for a long time now. Um, yeah. What made you want to write that piece at this time? Yeah. Um, so it was originally a class project um, that we had to do was to write an op-ed. Um, and I originally came into the professor's office and I was like, I can do Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's something interesting. Um, and he actually said, you could probably do something about CF. Um, and at the time, um, it was something that I didn't think about. But ultimately, I was like, no, like I think this is important, especially um, as talks of a vaccine was on the horizon um, at the time last fall. Um, And so really understanding how my life during the pandemic was definitely something that isn't like the common experience that everyone else um, who isn't living with a rare disease has had. So um, I really wanted to make sure that um, not only the CF narrative was um, put into the conversation, but also um, something for people to think about um, beyond the pandemic um, for those living with rare diseases. It accomplishes that beautifully. So, I, and we'll be linking to the piece in our show notes, um, you know, and elsewhere. But so, in the piece, you write the daily decisions many of you have been making: physically distancing, wearing a mask, deciding whether or not to go to a party, are ones I've been making my whole life. Uh, so, specifically, you know, h- how has having had cystic fibrosis, you know, how, how did it prepare you for this? Like when when the pandemic started, and you saw all these people around you, kind of freaking out trying to figure out you know to uh you know with masks and all these kinds of conversations um did you process that differently do you think than the people around you and did you have to do some kind of like teaching like look this is how we do it yeah um i think that's something that i've said from the beginning of the pandemic that i've kind of been working to prepare for a pandemic even though i didn't expect one to happen in my lifetime um but making sure, I mean, whenever we are at the hospital, we wear masks, um, moving around so that way we don't catch anything, um, like even just the flu, um, making sure that all of our areas are clean pre-pandemic so that way, um, again, we don't get anything, any bugs or any type of um, infections. But having that understanding of and know how to do those things um, really, I think, has prepared me to um, continue those practices, maybe strengthen them a little bit as the pandemic has gone on, um, but to understand how important um, those kind of practices 
practices are in my daily life um, and show that importance of those practices, especially um, to friends and family during the pandemic. A while back, we had Catherine Poe on the show, and she was a recent graduate from Capital University and rather reminds me of you as well. She has a rare blood disease, but she processed the pandemic similarly. You know, we talked about how she kind of was like, hey, you know, um, I mean, when I met her way before the pandemic, she was wearing a mask, right? But, you know, just understanding people's vulnerability and, and there's theory that comes out of it, right? There's like this um, ability to say, like, I've, I've already been looking at the world from this perspective for a long time, so I can kind of help you acclimate. And, you know, that's right. unfair for, for us to look to people who living with that kind of vulnerability to do that heavy lifting for others. But it's really, that's why we need the perspective. That's why disability studies are so important, for example, to help other people who are not disabled to see the world in that way and then maybe make better decisions. Right. Yeah. And even in the piece, I referenced two canceling plans. Um, and that was all of 2020 people um, canceling vacations, family gatherings. Um, and that was a reality and has been um, for myself and my family pre-pandemic living with CF. Um, if a friend was sick, I was not going to the summer party. Um, or if a family member was sick, then we had to cancel plans. Um, and so that sad reality of having to do that, um, I think, has helped me to um, give some more perspective on for friends and family, I mean, hopefully through the op-ed um, on canceling plans and what does that mean, but also for those of us that are living with rare diseases or um, conditions where it, we could be more vulnerable, um, that canceling of plans or public health practices does not end after the pandemic um, for a v- vulnerable people in our society, including those with CF. Now, your sister Allison also has CF, and yes. in the piece, uh, re- uh, listeners will see there's a picture of the two of you, and you're wearing these shirts to say, I am a pre existing condition, which is you know, a really poignant way of thinking about this. I think the idea, you know, since the Affordable Care Act came around, the, the language of pre existing conditions has become normalized in our, in our conversations around healthcare. But for you, it's this very personal thing. And for people like you, it's a very personal thing. That's not just an insurance term. It's like, this is what we're talking about, personified. Yeah. yeah. And and that's something, too, is to understand that CF is a genetic disease. Um, my twin sister and I were both born with it. Um, it was not something that we caught or um, can give to other people. Um, and so understanding that, too, is important for CF, but also how it's an everyday battle that has been every day since we were born. Um, And that is something um, to also note to the general public, too. I think it's important that a lot of diseases you'll see are pre-existing conditions, um, the term thrown around, but it's it's some people's reality um, that it's just been around for their whole lives, too. I wonder if you've been following the discussions about, you know, the the so-called long haulers, right? Long-term covid effects. And it strikes me, and maybe, you know, tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but it seems that some of the breathing treatments and some of the the needs that those folks are going to have are similar to maybe what you've been living with. I guess, do you have any insight or thoughts into, you know, about that, that you could share for people who may be in that situation or, or trying to understand that situation? Yeah, um, sometimes actually CF um, and how people with CF breathe um, is demonstrated through a straw. Um, and so being able to breathe through a straw, um, and I think it's still used today, but mainly when we were younger, um, having someone with normal lung capacity and everything like that breathe through a straw um, was a really good example of how CF people 
are able to breathe and how it's kind of restricting. Um, so I can only imagine how people with long-term COVID effects would feel. Um, and it is tragic that um, that is a reality um, for those that have contracted COVID. But um, I think it's also a good comparison to CF that it's a marathon and not a sprint. I could only imagine with those with long-term COVID effects how um, it's definitely not an overnight issue that is taken care of. Um, and so I think I can draw parallels um, to long-term COVID effects with CF in that sense that it's, it's going to be a long haul, but um, there's also hope at the end, hopefully. In, in your piece, um, you, you write, my hope is that after the pandemic, it becomes second nature for people with healthy immune systems to think about the fact that millions of people like myself with suppressed immune systems are living among them and act accordingly by normalizing simple public health practices. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I just want to ask you broadly, like, when you look around, when you think about your experience and what you've seen over the last uh, year plus, do you think we're learning anything? I mean, do you see... Um, progress with understanding, empathy, care for others in your in your world, and just generally when you read. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's a two part answer. In some groups, yes, and for some groups, no. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that is the sad reality of it too. Um, but I think that. For the groups that have, I think there is some hope um, in the sense that though it's not everyone, it is someone that's learning from it um, and hope that maybe those people could influence the other people that haven't really gotten it yet. Um, and so I think having that hope and even just having hope for the future that everyone will think of those people around them that are more vulnerable even after the pandemic is over and the vaccine um, has been given and herd immunity is accomplished and COVID's gone. Hopefully all of the groups of people um, will realize that there are more vulnerable people in society um, and really take those public health practices seriously. But I think there is a little bit ways to get there um, with some groups of people, but others, I think I think there's men some progress made. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to explain to people, right? This idea that this, you know, for example, um, something that's injected into you and is protecting you is also part of this broader effort. It's a social good, right? Mm -hmm. That you getting uh, vaccinated is also creating um, that herd immunity, hopefully at some point, but in the short run, just people around you. Right. And that every time you every time you get one more person, a shot in another arm, you uh, you know, you're giving something to the people around you as well. But that kind of tests our ability to think in terms of individualism and in terms of social goods. Yeah. And I think it helps just to promote society in general. I know um, I've heard a lot since the governor recently raised um, the bar down to 16. Um, a lot of my friends in college are so excited to go get the vaccine um, and what that could mean for not only their future, but also seeing relatives and being around people um, and one step closer to somewhat of a normal um, reality, hopefully soon. Um, so I think that's been something too that, again, instilling in folks that you are getting the vaccine and that is great but also to remember that there are people um, in society who are more vulnerable to um, different 
sicknesses and illnesses, um, just like the common flu. Um, so to understand and get that in people's brains. So that way also when the flu comes around next year, um, people do get their vaccine, but also are making sure that they're washing their hands, wearing masks and um, staying around people who aren't sick or might be more vulnerable. Of course, we have some recent developments at the you know in the state legislature that suggest that maybe they aren't getting it quite so much. In fact, they uh, are setting us up for the next situation to not be able to take aggressive action, and you know that's really disconcerting. And and, and that mm-hmm. leads me to really my final question, which is: so at Ohio Northern, you're a double major in political science and public relations, but you also have minors in public policy, pre-law, public health, and religion. So, you know, yeah. the old joke of, you know, get, you know, leave some minors for others, will you? <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I, I just want to ask you, so as you're preparing for your the work you're, you want to do after college, although you're clearly involved in some of this right now, doing advocacy yeah. and being out there, how, how are the things you're studying connected to the way you're thinking about next steps for you as a advocate for, you know, people with cystic fibrosis, but also other things. Yeah. Um, I think kind of my advocacy work at being younger um, and doing advocacy, I really found a passion for what I believe changes government most, which is public policy um, and being able to um, change it at the foundation. So that way um, people are able to have that change throughout. Um, and so, carrying all those majors and minors, um, I think I've been able to combine a education that really represents um, myself, but also the work that I want to accomplish in the future um, with understanding how um, communication is important for policy, but also for public health. I mean, we've seen um, Governor DeWine do multiple press conferences um, this past year that um, normally we would not see um, in outside of a pandemic. Um, so I think that's super important, but also understanding how public health relates um, to not only government, but the health of people throughout society. Um, so yeah. right now, I don't know exactly what I want to do post-graduation. I'm currently working on that. But um, I think having all of those tools um, in my toolkit to understand government, but also um, health and health policy um, really is super important um, for right now and for my future, for sure. Well, we're going to be following the work you're going to do. I know you're going to be out there, um, you know, making a difference. And, and, and the piece that you wrote, I, you know, I want to thank you for writing it and um, we'll share it with others, um, you know, but also just taking the time to talk around it and and to expand because in, in many ways that that's a beginning point. Yeah. Just getting that personal snapshot of somebody's life um, is an opening to have these kinds of conversations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's so important to, to draw on um, people's experiences because I think that's a really great avenue um, to learn about a number of different things. So I'm really happy that I was able to add my own experience and um, yeah, experiences into the narrative so that way people um, had another view of the pandemic, but also of more people in society for sure. Well, we, we wish you, we wish your sister and your family and, you know, good health. Okay. Thank and you. take care of yourself and be in touch, please. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Thanks to Andrea for coming on the show and sharing so much with us. It was really nice getting to know her. And though you didn't get to hear it, it was also nice to be able to meet Andrea's twin sister, Allison, after Andrea and I wrapped up our talk. These are some great people, folks. 
Thanks also to Ohio Northern University, located in the beautiful town of Ada, Ohio, for helping us to set this up. As always, we're including a bunch of links in our show notes at wcbe.org and prognosisohio.com so you can learn more about Andrea, cystic fibrosis, and read up on some of the issues we touch on in our conversation. This episode of Prognosis Ohio is hosted by me, Dan Skinner, and produced by me with editorial and production assistance from Claire McGee. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show and follow us on Twitter at at prognosisohio. As always, we encourage you to reach out with your suggestions and your feedback, and you'll find links on our website to do that. Stay tuned for our next episode, dropping in about a week, in which I talk with health and medicine reporter at the Columbus Dispatch, Max Philby. You're not going to want to miss this one, folks. Okay, that's it for now. Thanks for listening, and be well.